I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. All right, all right, y'all. You are listening to She and Her. Hey, Anita. Hey, Sandra. What do we got on tap for today? So we have had a blast this spring hanging out with all of you and sharing conversations that reflect the wide array of feminist thought and action in our community. Some really Mm, incredible (laughs) people have sat down with us in the studio, and it's been really fun to hear everyone's reflections on everything we've talked about from being a mom in the workplace, to being on Survivor, to oh, yeah. being an artist and an activist, to, I don't even know, it's been... Being a nudist. Being a nudist as well. Yes, many topics have been covered. Um, they've all been wonderful. And we have a lot more to explore in our next season. So in the meantime, you should share your thoughts with us. We have a listener survey that you can find on our Facebook and our Instagram. We want to know what you've liked, what you want to hear more of. And you can help shape the next season of She and Her. But we could not be more excited to wrap up this season with a guest that we have in studio tonight. Joining us is a 17-year-old actor from Raleigh who is already killing it in the big wide world. They have been on Nashville and Drop Dead Diva and most recently star as the gender non-binary character Susie Putnam in the Netflix show Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Uh, that show has been a huge success, received critical acclaim, and season two drops on April 5th. So in studio with us is Lachlan Watson. Welcome. Hello. Thank you. Can we just say we are so excited to have you here because we love that show and have been nerdishly into that show. I remember when they dropped the holiday special, it was like a true holiday treat for me <laughs> because it came in a time I didn't think I was going to get anymore, Sabrina. Yeah. Right. So. Well, it's so fun because I grew up around like Doctor Who when they would still do their Christmas specials. So when I found out we were still doing a Christmas special, I got so excited. <laughs> yes. It's such a fun like tradition. You just huddle around the TV and you watch it. And I still watch it today. So, Well, I think that's a great segue into our first question, which is we'd love to hear a little bit about how you grew up. So you're from Raleigh. You watched Doctor Who right. growing up. That's And that's Pain all you need to know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're 17, watching Doctor Who, which I love. Right. Paint us a picture of your childhood and, and what your early artistic influences were like. Very 
creative and goofy and very free was like my childhood. I feel like it was interesting because I grew up homeschooled and so we just had a lot of time as a family to do whatever we want to really I did a lot of like paint by numbers and I did a lot of theater and it I think it just really clued into like me being who I am now where it just gave me the freedom to sort of be whoever I wanted to be and I didn't really grow up in like the structured public school environment you know, which has its pros and cons, but the biggest pro is not having that that structure, not basically growing up in a cage. I yes. sort of grew up free range in a way. And what is homeschool like? I think, I mean, there are a lot of stereotypes about homeschooled kids right. and, and, you know, the parents that choose to homeschool their kids. I'd love to hear from your experience, like what that actually felt like on a day-to-day basis. I think it was less of a choice for us, which was interesting. It just made it very different where the reason we started homeschooling was because my mom was a teacher and my sister was born I think a couple months after the age cutoff I think is how it was and she was already whiz kid she was reading Harry Potter like front to back by the time she was going into like middle school elementary school it was crazy and my mom was like I can't hold this kid back that doesn't seem fair And so she just decided to take what she knew about teaching and just homeschool her for like the first year. Turns out it was great. And so then by the time I came along two and a half years later, we just kept going. And it ended up being this really cool environment where it was less about teaching alternative lessons or teaching something different that that public school wouldn't teach us or something like that or or hiding us from things that public school would teach us or something like that it was just that it was convenient and it became this really beautiful way to learn that we could learn at our speed the way we wanted to like I learned math off of q-tips in the grocery store and (laughs) that was the best kind of way for us to learn and like we took geography by traveling across the country and it's something that I would never discourage anyone from experiencing I would never tell somebody that like oh homeschooling like held me back or homeschooling like oh I wasn't socialized or something like I clearly know how to speak English and talk to people (laughs) I drove here so clearly I'm doing all right (laughs) but it's it's just I feel very lucky that that's where we landed and that's the life I sort of stumbled into. And so you were socialized very much in the theater then. That became right. your community. Tell us about that and what that was like. Well, it was it was interesting. It explains a lot about uh, how I am and why I am like this is because my first theater production was a production of Enron at Burning Coal Theater, which was this 20-person cast of a bunch of like middle-aged men and women going through their life midlife crisis and me just hanging out <laughs> and we had this tiny Burning Cold Theater is this teeny tiny little space in Raleigh it used to be an old uh, high school auditorium I think but it means that the dressing rooms are minuscule it's like a hallway in the back and like a side room the size of like a closet that we affectionately called the diva room because I was placed in the diva room with four other 60-year-old women <laughs> <laughs> and because other, if I wasn't back there, I would have been in the hallway dressing room with like 15 people in their like underwear running around. I would be amongst the strippers, the um, the tax brokers and such. Oh, my God. Which, you know, I still ended up around. Yes. But I just I, I had the best time because I learned how to knit during that production. <laughs> um, once again, says a lot about me. And 
so I had the best time like sitting underneath the dressing room counters and no one would ever see me and they'd just see like my little feet and my knitting needles like click clacking away I heard the most interesting stuff <laughs> I learned more in that dressing room than I ever did home school oh my God, I bet. <laughs> and you're just like not bothering anybody just knitting away just hanging out oh I heard I heard some very choice choice things okay so you grew up you had like a woke homeschooling family experience you were in the theater scene from a very young age will you talk about how that influenced and impacted your journey to identifying as gender non-binary it was it was interesting it was kind of a weird journey it definitely influenced it in that I never really felt scared to embrace wherever I was at the moment I never really felt afraid to talk about it or or hesitant to even allow myself to consider myself to be any type of queer like I never had those moments I mean strangely I was almost so ready and like excited to talk about it and and be queer that I ended up identifying as a lot of things that I probably never was just because I didn't really have the resources to understand I I was always around a lot of cis identifying with the gender you were assigned at birth, gay and lesbian men and women. Like, that's what I grew up around in the theater. There's a lot of people who live their lives like that openly where a little kid like me can see that and, like, look up to these people and just think that they're totally normal people because they are. And But what that did was it gave me a very binary view of how to be queer, where I would see all these amazing like lesbian women that I look up to and worshipped. And when I started to question myself and my sexuality and my gender, I only had that to understand how I was feeling. So right. then I was like, ah, I must be lesbian. So I came out as lesbian when I was like 13. And I, amazingly, when I was 14 or 15, I was like, something still feels wrong. And I was like, I guess that means I'm a man because I didn't have any other way to think about it. And those were some of the hardest years of my life because I, you know, you hear about coming out as this amazing, wonderful thing that you, it's the spiritual moment where you come out and you, you blossom into this magical butterfly and then you live your life as that magical butterfly for the rest of your years and you're happy and amazing and like you feel so free. And I never really had that moment for a really long time where I came out as all these things and I was so excited and then there was still that part of me that was like, I don't like this. Hmm. And that felt weird where like the years where I lived as a trans man were some of the hardest years of my life because I still forced myself into such a box. It was like, like you know those those toys you have as a kid where it's like a wooden box and it's like they've got the shapes cut out and you've got the, mm. the shapes and you put the shapes in the different like shape holes. It was like I was trying, like if you think of female as the circle and male as the square, I was trying to like take the square and like cut off the sides and like stick it in the mm. circle box when really in reality the box just didn't exist and I didn't know how to understand that and so instead I was just like shaving off parts of myself and trying to fit this like mold and that really sucked <laughs> I like I, I bought shoes that were like three sizes too big for me because I was like oh I've got tiny lady feet I can't have that because I'm a man and I like wow. wouldn't let myself wear the color pink for two and a half years of my life I, I mean I look, I look pink great <laughs> I look studio. great in pink you do. We can <laughs> and verify. I didn't let myself wear it which is you know whatever like okay go off but it's just 
it was such a weird like trapping thing that I didn't allow myself to embrace any of these things that I loved and have loved for so long like the color pink or like Aretha Franklin like I wouldn't let myself be that or live that because I was so focused on like this goal this like unattainable thing that I had to be and it it was just it was a really hurtful place to be and then eventually when I came to a lot of big huge decisions and like a lot of things within transitioning medically like were just presented to me because I knew the script I like knew what to say I knew where to go I knew you know I had memorized the the things to say to get people to be like oh yeah you sound like you know what you're talking about here's a prescription for testosterone like I knew all that and I got that and I got handed the prescription and I like had that moment where I hesitated and something just felt so wrong that I was like this is not where I want to be I don't I don't want to keep like shaving off the parts of who I actually am to fit this goal and so I was like no no no, I'm just gonna wait and then that's when I came out as non-binary and then just sort of allowed myself to re-embrace those those things I'd sort of pushed away so long ago and I don't know if it would have helped to not be around theater I don't know if it would have helped to go to public school I don't know if it would have helped for me to wait I, there's a lot of different factors, but I'm just, I try really hard now to use my platform to preach, like, listen to yourself, <laughs> listen to yourself, don't listen to other people, don't don't let society rule you, don't let the YouTube videos rule you, let yourself and your feelings and, and how you feel about yourself, let that rule you. And that's just what I'm trying to say, because if somebody had told me that when I was a kid, I think I would have gotten so much farther than Googling, like, Am I gay? Right. <laughs> I, and it's just it's interesting trying to figure out how to how to help other kids with that and and figure out what could have helped me if I could have gone back and told myself what I needed to hear. Well, I I find it so amazing that here you are 17 and you you have arrived at this part of your journey because what I can attest to is that so many people going through adolescence and then teenagehood are are doing the same thing where you're trying on different versions of yourself and right. trying to see what sticks. And I feel like when I was leaving to go to college when I was 18 years old, I still had not as defined of a self-concept as you do. Right. So I think it's really amazing that you have arrived to where you have. Well, I think it definitely comes, it takes like a midlife crisis moment. It takes like a some serious darkness to like force yourself to figure out like oh where's the light I need that and a lot of people luckily don't have to have that like I did where I had this really brutal moment when I was like 14 or 15 where I ended up in the middle of this big discrimination lawsuit and and that had to sort of force me to come to terms with all of this and like really genuinely figure out who I was and who I am and I was just sort of like shoved in the deep end and just had to come up with a mature and clear and concise answer of who I was for really no one other than myself I just I needed it for me and luckily a lot of people don't go through that but then again it's like how do you balance helping other people figure out who they are without going through the trauma when really there's a lot of trauma involved in figuring out who you are. Have there been people for whom 
like explaining your identity, it just doesn't for people for whom it doesn't click, where what do you turn to? Do you, to continue the conversation or is there a place where you just tend to kind of I've stop. I've had a bunch of different moments like that. I've built this little like repertoire of like different responses to different people not accepting me where I can like spin the wheel and be like, oh, we're landing on on this metaphor. All right, here we go. And I just sort of have to commit to that. But there definitely have been moments where I've I've spoken to people about it and tried to help someone who really doesn't want to accept this or me or being non-binary at all. There have been moments where I've just been like, you know what, if someone's determined not to hear there I'm not going to be able to make them listen and that's been difficult but a lot of that happened a couple years ago or even a couple months ago and it's nice to be in a place where I can be like you know what I can move on and eventually I'll get big enough that non-binary will be a household term and I won't have to be the one to force you into submission I'll just be able to inspire the people who do want to listen to be able to come together and band together and then eventually we'll be so big and beautiful and proud that you won't be able to ignore us or, or refuse to listen or hear. I wonder, I bet our moms listening would love one or two of those metaphors. Will you share? <laughs> okay, all right. My favorite one that I've figured out that I can use is when I, I come to terms with somebody who... I, like, I had this kid, I did this, like, Instagram questions poll thing, and somebody asked me, I have a friend who believes wholeheartedly that there are only two genders. How do I convince him otherwise? And I just sort of had this moment where I was like, I don't really know, but if you were stranded on a desert island or in the middle of the woods in a cabin alone and you suddenly had immortality you just got to like suspend disbelief for a second and you were immortal and you were just like stuck in the woods forever with no clothes and no social media and no radio or media or tv or anything and it was just you and you had to stay there listening to yourself thinking about who you are and just living your life would it really matter to you after some 30,000 million years whether or not you wear pants or a skirt? Would that be your priority? Would you, if you stumbled upon someone of your quote-unquote opposite gender, would you immediately place upon them the same judgments and requirements and stereotypes that we immediately place on people now would that be the first thing that comes to your head or would it be like oh look another human <laughs> right would you care about you pronouns? got a water source i need right. to know about <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and that's where i'm at now is just trying to break down those automatic assumptions people make when you look at a person the social construct right the constructs because ultimately that is what it is like i for a long time, when I identified as trans, I was arguing against my body. I was refusing to accept that I was anything other than this perfect ideal I had in my head because that's what I thought gender was. I thought that's what it meant to be queer, was arguing against who you were. And wow. now I've come to a place where I'm no longer arguing against my body. I don't like saying anymore that I was born in the wrong body because when I said that, I was thinking of like, 
Orlando Bloom in Lord of the Rings. Like, that's the body I should have been born in. Because we all a little bit feel like we should have been born in the body of Orlando <laughs> Bloom in Lord nice. of the Rings. Yeah, right. That's very true. <laughs> and that's the headspace I was in when I said stuff like that. And now I, I refuse to let myself say that because it's an excuse. It's an excuse to, like, stop loving yourself. And it's an excuse to blame yourself instead of society and be like, oh, someone had it out for me specifically that I'm just incorrect. When really... I wouldn't have these problems if no one looked at my body like pre-top surgery. If I still had boobs tomorrow, I would be fine if no one in the world looked at me, saw my chest and immediately deemed me female. Mm. I'd be fine. Mm -hmm. Genuinely. I'd be totally cool if I just lived alone in the woods with my little boobs just having a great time. (laughs) I wouldn't care. And that's ultimately what I'm just trying to convince people of is – why do you think those things? Why do you call that person what you're calling them? Why are you so against change? And it's just those are the questions that you have to ask people. And usually no one really has an answer to it. And that's just what I'm trying to provoke is like I can ask questions and you don't have to have an answer. You've just got to listen to the question. <laughs> yes. And do some thought. Right. Thought work. Because I've had to do a lot of thought. So yes. it's your turn now. <laughs> yes. OK. So listeners, Lachlan is in our studio in this amazing look. <laughs> They are in a leopard print turtleneck, leopard print (laughs) boots, this pink eyeshadow situation, and then a blue, green, yellow hair dye. Is Mm. that correct? Am I I seeing the colors? I did it yesterday at like (laughs) 3 a.m. We were going for silver, but we're not going to talk about that. (laughs) Well, we've all been there. (laughs) Right. So, So talk about how you now play with and manifest your gender and your identity now that you have sort of divorced yourself from those constructs right i i just do what i feel like is comfortable at this point i i've created all my little pinterest boards and my little like instagram saved boards where i can look at something i can look at a design or an art piece or a makeup look or a red carpet outfit and look at that and say, I want to wear that. And I've come to a place where it doesn't really matter if the person wearing that is male or female because I'm like, you know what? It's clothes. And it would look just as good if those two people that I'm looking at swapped. And so I'm just building this like little inspiration board in my head of what I want to look like what I how I want to present regardless of gender and funny enough I'm trying kind of hard to make sure that none of those individual looks if you just pulled like if you just plucked them off the shelf none of that would scream like non-binary queer it would just be an article of clothing and like you take someone like this is very controversial but you take somebody like Billy Porter and that beautiful mm. piece that they wore to the Oscars, mm-hmm. I think it was yes. the Oscars, where it was the tuxedo jacket yes. on top and then the huge ballroom like skirt on the bottom. And granted, they looked amazing. But that's sort of what I'm trying to do the opposite of because that's still – it's interesting how looking at that, you see that as like, ooh, non-binary icon, I wonder what their pronouns are, which is kind of – interesting because when I look at that I still see binary Hmm. I still see like oh I get it you're half man half woman ha 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 and it feels on the nose right and it's sort of the opposite of what me and a lot of other non-binary people are sort of trying to preach against 
where it, the clothes aren't supposed to have gender. I mean, if you just took that off of Billy Porter and you hung it on a shelf, it would still look non-binary. It would still look queer, which is great because any representation is good representation. However, that still confirms and solidifies the whole clothes have gender thing that I'm trying so hard to shy away from. Those are the things that don't matter. You don't have to look androgynous. And so when I show up on red carpets in a dress (laughs) or when I show up in red carpets in a suit or anything that I feel comfortable in, it's not because I'm trying to make a statement. It's just what makes me feel good. That's why I was so passionate about just wearing a dress, a really cool dress to the Sabrina premiere was because I didn't want to be that stereotype of the skinny white born female person showing up in a suit and everyone praising them for like, ooh, androgynous icon, because that's not the point. That's not what I'm trying to show because that oppresses so many other people that like what I'm just trying to show is that you can be whoever you want to be no matter what you look like. And apparently that's a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. (laughs) And while some people might say they're feeling very feminine today, that's Mm -hmm. why they're wearing that dress. Right. I just woke up and thought about putting makeup on my face. I was like, sure, why not? I've got time to kill. Like, (laughs) it wasn't because I was like, you know what? I feel a little bit more like a lady today. I was just like, you know, I just this is how I feel today. I'm just going to be a little bit more extra than usual. (laughs) Well, how about I want to pivot to Sabrina in a second. But you're we talk a lot about body image on the show and. Hmm. patriarchy (laughs) and how (laughs) there's an ongoing struggle with feeling comfortable in your body and recognizing diet culture and Mm. trying to kind of navigate all of those things. And I'm wondering for you in your physical body, which has undergone changes throughout this process, how has your relationship with your physical self today and how, what are the things you do to nurture that relationship? (sighs) It's been difficult. It's been a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. I think it's just, it's not only impossibly difficult for AFAB assigned female at birth people where you grow up with this perfect ideal, you grow up through diet culture, you grow up with your sister weighing herself on the scale and and making fun of herself when she's a two instead of a zero and, and you grow up around those things that you don't realize are hurtful. You just think that that's That's just what you've been assigned along with your gender that you're like, oh, you've been assigned this life. And but it's interesting that it stretches to so many more people than that. And the more I realize that, the more brutal it gets. And it's just I've become very self-aware now that I don't have transness to blame my image of my body issues to or I don't have I can't blame anything else other than me and That's been very interesting, and it's only been something I've been dealing with for the past, like, year, year and a half, where as I'm allowing myself to experience a little bit more of life's femininity or fluidity or just allow myself to be a little bit more me, it's interesting to see the places that I still stifle myself. I only wear high-rise jeans because I don't like thinking about, like, oh, my stomach's not flat today, and it's just, like, that's so toxic in so many ways that I never even realized. Like, I didn't even think that as a queer person that was something I even had to talk about or think about and it is and it's huge that no matter who you are no matter how you identify no matter where you want to be that kind of thing those images this perfect ideal we created will follow you around forever it's been interesting 
comparing myself to other people and realizing how much I do that entirely inherently it's 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 just been interesting like with social media quote-unquote stardom with you know 200,000 more followers than I had yesterday or something ridiculous like that it's just interesting to see what that does to a person's psyche almost more than wanting to fit to this other binary because when you're trans and you want to be this other binary there's this really depressing part of yourself that knows you'll never really get there and it's just sort of this accepted thing that it's like you know you'll always be like a little bit of what you want to be you'll always be like sort of Orlando Bloom you'll never really be Orlando (laughs) Bloom and that you don't really have with diet culture with body image the world tells you that there is absolutely no reason that you shouldn't look like that person on the TV. And that you can't figure out a right. way to get there. And that if you can't, it's your problem. Yep. And that's fascinating to me that, like, it's so trapping that it's just this wild, like, cage and that it so doesn't get talked about. It's interesting and it's a little brutal, but I'm just trying to use my platform to not only raise up queer kids who need to hear it but raise up anyone who needs to hear it and just talk about accepting yourself for who you are in whatever form it comes in no matter what pronouns you use no matter how you dress no matter what accepting yourself for who you want to be unapologetically and that has been a way harder message than accept yourself even if you're queer Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Okay, I feel like, because for the sake of time, we can find a pivot to Sabrina, even though I feel like there was a, this is a very <laughs> fruitful area of conversation for exploration, so maybe next season. <laughs> right. I've but, got all the time in the world, I'll yes. come back. <laughs> but... So why don't you talk a little bit about how you got the part of Susie on Sabrina and where, I mean, because at that point you had accepted who you were and you really went to bat for that role and how that role evolved. So take us to the beginning when you got that role and then maybe walk us through a little bit about how we meet Susie the way we see Susie. It was kind of tricky where... It was funny that it's it's become this beautiful freeing thing and this this character that's evolved to something so different because when it started I was basically auditioning for the queer token <laughs> where my agent saw some you know national like 
emergency, we need somebody like now call where they had searched the entire country for some little queer androgynous trans looking kid to play this role. And then finally they were like, I guess we'll look in North Carolina of all places. And my agent saw that and saw queer, edgy, young, short and went, I've got somebody like that (laughs) and sent it to me. And I remember doing the tape and it was a really, really emotional piece that ended up, I didn't realize this, but they completely made it up. They just wrote something really dramatic just to see if I would do it. (laughs) And it was this really emotional coming out piece where my character comes out as a trans man. And I, of course, remember that moment very vividly in my life. So it was very easy for me to turn on the waterworks. And I submitted it. And I want to say a couple hours later, the creative director of Archie Comics, um, Roberto, came back and said, hey, do you have time to Skype tomorrow afternoon? And this terror sort of went through my body that not only do I have extreme phone anxiety, but oh my God, the creative director of Archie Comics wants to call me. And so I ended up Skyping with him the next afternoon in my pajamas with my four cats milling about. And it ended up being this whole session of me just like dumping my entire gender journey on this very unsuspecting dude. (laughs) But he gladly accepted it. He was basically like, so tell me what this character means to you. And I was like, well, Roberto, strap in. And (laughs) it was this, like, hour-long conversation. I realize looking back on it now that it was almost like he was vetting me to see if I was able to speak under pressure and to be able to be the voice of essentially an entire movement. And... I didn't realize that then, but now I'm like, Roberto, you sly little devil, (laughs) where he was just trying to figure out that if he cast this little queer kid, would I be able to use my platform to raise up other little queer kids? Turns out, I guess I can. And so he cast me the next day and then wanted me out in Vancouver the day after. And my mom had a whole job. I hadn't graduated high school. She was still required to be there. And I remember she just, like, dropped everything, quit her job. And we flew out, I think, like, a week later. And it, it was inter- it's, it's very interesting still living within the world that a lot of people think that Susie doesn't really live in anymore, where it's like, I've used my platform to be like, hey, non-binary. And for the first part... Susie was definitely, like, non-binary icon, like, staring down the bullies in, like, jeans and, like, a cardigan. Like, it felt great to live in for so long where I felt like maybe in my own little way I influenced the writers to hold off on – because the character was trans. The character was originally supposed to be this trans character who gets killed off in, like, the second episode. And – after a while, the coming out scene just kept getting delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed and delayed. And so then for the first season, Susie was just allowed to be this sort of like gray area and just live wherever Susie wanted to be, which was great. It feels great to have that because now that character through me is speaking to all these non-binary kids. And it's interesting because in this upcoming season, Susie comes out as something and whether or not that's where they will land or whether or not that'll be disappointing for some people or if it'll just allow people to continue to accept Susie as whoever they want to be. And it'll be interesting when Susie finally picks a side 
to see if that comes and affects me and the work that I'm trying to do at all. That'll just be very interesting. And well, that's I'm so much pressure excited. for you to hold because <laughs> you have this thing that you're trying to do as an activist based on your own experience right. of the world. And you have this character right. who has some similarities to you. But ultimately, you don't have control over right. their narrative of that character. But you will experience whatever reaction to that character happens. Right. Like, it's interesting how it, there's not a separation of character there. Because people love all around the world to watch a film, watch a movie, watch a TV show, and then assume that that actor is just an extension of their character. And that's what's happened with everyone else on the show where like jazz is now rosalind and ross has become harvey and like gavin has become nick and it's interesting how people really want to do that with me but they can't and they won't be able to very soon where there will be a big gap in character and actor and very rarely do people come across that Mm -hmm. and It's taken a while, but I've allowed myself to not be dictated by my characters anymore. Like, when I was a trans man, I did not audition for female roles. I did not audition for non-binary roles. I auditioned for men. And Mm. guess what? I didn't get them because society's not ready for that yet. But I wouldn't let myself do my job. I wouldn't let myself lean into that beautiful part of acting that is going outside of yourself, going outside of who you are and embodying this other character. People don't see an issue with Christian Bale being all these different things because he's an actor and that's his job. So funny how that doesn't carry over to queer artists, Mm -hmm. where if a queer artist makes art that has nothing to do with them being queer, people go up in arms because they're like, you're queer. You're not supposed to be able to do anything other than queer art. We have a box and you fit into that box. Exactly. And And it's just, it's interesting sort of watching that double standard where it's nice that I don't have to let that affect me anymore, but it is sort of disheartening watching that disconnect. Hmm. Well, so you're carrying a lot with you into this show oh, yeah into this role <laughs> emotional baggage never heard of her <laughs> <laughs> and honestly it is a very dark show what was a, a good day on set to you and what was a tough day on set to you for season season one maybe i think a good day on set was oh there are a bunch of them anytime i got to fight somebody that was a good day on set <laughs> that was fun I was the least confrontational kid you could have possibly imagined. And I never went to public school, so I never really had to deal with bullies that weren't my own inner ones. And I never had that, like, physically manifested in front of my face. And it was kind of cathartic in a way to be like, you know what? I'm taking my inner bullies and it's those really nice Canadian actors in front of me and I'm going <laughs> to punch the heck out of them. And it was it was great. It was this weird like it's that those endorphins you get after like exercise, but like times like three million and you wake up the next morning and you feel like you've been hit by a truck and it feels great. <laughs> that was amazing because it was sort of it was just this really weird experiment where I was going back through this like stereotypical high school scenario that I never had to experience. And I was going through it with this kid who wasn't afraid of anything. I was afraid of everything. <laughs> and that was amazing. There were really great days on set like that. And then there were also really hard days on set like that. Like probably my worst day on set was 
The only time I had a panic attack the entire season was when I had to memorize and deliver this, like, two-page long essay paragraph in front of a quote-unquote classroom. And there were, like, 30 extras just staring at me. And this is my job. This is what I do. I've been, like, great at memorizing since I was, like, nine years old. I memorized, like, Pink Floyd in, like, two seconds. (laughs) I was great at it. But then for some reason, being thrust in front of this, like, audience of these high school looking Mm. kids having to do this like monologue about history and like the war I couldn't do it and I was the only one speaking it was just a simple one-off it should have been nothing but I had this lump in my throat the whole time and I couldn't figure out why until I was literally crying in the locker room and was like oh my god I'm living out the stereotypical high school fantasy and it's horrible that's what was going through my mind was I was like, this sucks. Why would anyone want to do this? Where it was just like, it was that moment where like, you're supposed to visualize everybody else naked, but then you feel like the naked one. And you're just like, I don't know what to do anymore. All of my coping mechanisms are gone. That was the feeling. And it was crazy. And it took the director coming up to me and being like, hey, you're great at this. This is fake. Do it. Move on. You're wonderful. And I got up and I was like, you know what? I'm fine. (laughs) And I did it. And I managed to stumble through enough of it that they can piece it together in post editing. But it was terrifying. And it was something I never expected to be scared of. Like I was fine in the hallway high school scenes where there were like literally like 650 extras all running one way and I had to run the other way. Like that is a kid with anxiety's worst nightmare. <laughs> and I was fine. I was totally fine because I was loving it. And I was like singing Mulan and like all the extras were like joining in. It was great. But the moment that no one else was talking and I couldn't talk to anybody and I couldn't smile my way out of it, that I just had to like say these words and be a good student and be like like a good woman and like all of this like weird internalized stuff just sort of came to the surface and I was like society Whoa! came crashing right. down and it was just this really overwhelming moment that I'd never experienced before but I got through it and now I'm like you know what I did high school now I'm good now I never have to do it again but you unfortunately I have to speed yeah right and unfortunately I'm gonna have to do it for the next like nine years filming Sabrina but you know it's cool <laughs> well, how about magic because I mean the show kind of takes on its surface that like magic is and can be a part of life and we don't have to I mean I feel like as opposed to the original Sabrina the Teenage Witch where the magic was so hokey the magic is taken really seriously in this version right how has your relationship with magic evolved um, and how much a part of the process of the show is that it was fun to watch honestly we have this kind of cool thing that I've noticed where a couple of, like, the different, like, magic things that the mortals have been exposed to. Like, we've been, like, this doesn't always really make sense. And, like, what about this? And, like, what about this? And we've had, like, the writers come up to us and be, like, no, we're purposely trying to make it so that not all of the magic is, like, seen. That, like, you don't always see the magic. That it's just, like, assumed. It's almost like a psychological thriller in a way. Like a black swan moment where it's, like, did this really happen? Which I think is really, really cool. It's one of the most like balanced and like grounded shows I've been a part of and that I've like seen and experienced like the writing of and the process of which is fascinating because it's literally a show about witches and they're like (laughs) literal zombies and it's still like so balanced and it's very interesting to be a part of like the mortal side of that where 
we are the balancing factor. We are the other side of the scale where you've got like Sabrina like turning blue, like summoning hellfire. And then you've got like me staring down a lady just like, hey, I'm going to talk you to death. Like, because that's <laughs> such a human thing to do that it's been really interesting to watch that balance that we are the relatability. We are the, the sandbag. And it's just been this really cool thing to like sort of speak for the audience where we can literally just like look around and be so straightforward where we're like we literally have no idea what's going on (laughs) it's great but then you know end up with like shotguns and kill some people and it's really easy to have fun with it which is a really cool place to be so we have time for una mas question i think and my question for you is if you had a magic wand oh boy that you could wave over hollywood (laughs) what would you what would your first thing you you did with that magic wand be? Oh boy, like how how much am I allowed to do? Because if <laughs> I could, I'd just be like, can we just erase the binary? Just inherently, we never really had it. Doesn't exist. Never had it to begin with. And now you can't fight me about it. Because I I don't know. It's somebody asked me the other day. What is something that I've always wanted? Like since I was a little kid. And the first thing that came to my mind was that little childhood actor dream of wanting to get an Oscar and, like, wanting to be awarded this, like, the highest coveted award in the world for, like, people who do what I do and love what I do. And then I had this moment of, like, I don't even know what category I'd get nominated under. Like, my agent can't even, like, submit me right now because they literally don't know which category I'd be in. And that doesn't look good for the Academy. They don't want to take a political stance. They're not going to add another category just for little old me. It just means I'm probably not going to get that award. And I have to be fine with that. And I don't know what spell I'd cast or what I would do. But if I could wave my little magic wand and make it so no one has to feel like that and no one has to feel like they're probably going to get excluded and they've just got to be cool with that, I would. Because it's just, it's a weird and very intimidating place to be that I and a couple other people are like the only ones doing what we're doing in the entire world. We are the only ones in an entire industry, a a world-dominating industry, an industry that literally shapes how society sees everything. And there's like five of us. Like I Googled like non-binary actor and there were like four names that came up. We're all we've got. And there's so many people that we're speaking for. So many kids who are going to grow up and hear the word non-binary and be like, that's me. And then go, oh, but if I want to get an Oscar, I just sort of have to not want that anymore. And that that sucks. And I don't really know how to change that in a way other than just being who I am unapologetically until somebody changes their mind. But I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Someday I'm going to do it it anyway. anyway. (laughs) They better change the damn system. Yes. Absolutely. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. I love talking about it. This is my favorite thing to do. So thank you for 
giving me space to speak. Um, well, <laughs> you guys are listening to She and Her, and we are a podcast and radio show produced out of WHUP, a community radio station in Hillsborough. And this is our final episode of our fourth season. You can find all of our episodes from this season at sheandherradio.com, at sheandher on Facebook and Instagram. We are going to be taking a couple months off, uh, but we can't wait to come back with some new episodes later this summer. And in the meantime, take care. Bye, y'all. Bye. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.